You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to discuss the Cowboys' big win over the Cardinals on Monday Night Football with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon of SwollenDome.com. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast with a couple things that are bugging me. It's time to slash a few people. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension, a competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your chin strap, because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. Partner, we've talked a lot about the Dallas defense, pedestrian to start the year, but they flexed their muscle last night in primetime, coming up with six sacks of the veteran Carson Palmer postgame. Cardinal head coach Bruce Arians pointed the finger at his offensive line. Our offense was a matter of obviously sacks. Uh, we got to protect him better. We had we had guys open, and we just at times didn't, didn't get them because we couldn't, couldn't throw the ball. Cordell, who are you slashing up from the Arizona point of view last night? You want to go with Carson Palmer. Certainly he has no mobility at this stage of his career. Or how about the guys up front? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll go with the guys up front along with Carson Palmer because I think it's a combination of both. Uh, One, the offensive line have to protect their quarterback. I mean, he's at a point in time in his career where taking too many hits is not the best thing for the long term of the season for this football team of Carson Palmer as their quarterback. We see his inability to be able to be mobile in the pocket to get away from pressure, but you're consistently allowing this man to get hit. Within three games, he's already been sacked 11 times. I'm more than sure that's at the top of the charts amongst quarterbacks that's getting hit on a consistent basis. He's very fragile. He's not getting younger. And let's just also slash Carson Palmer, too. Get the ball out of your hand. Try to find a soft spot in the pocket. I know it's like an oxymoron of a conversation that I'm having saying what his inabilities are, but yet at the same time saying he needs to step up in the pocket and find a soft spot. If we can't do that, I think it's time to move forward away from Carson Palmer. But I don't think they will because they've given him that year, that extra year uh, extension on this team. But when it comes to a team's ability to be able to protect their quarterback. Yeah, we saw pressure last week on the Dallas Cowboys quarterback against the Denver Broncos defense, and I think they found a way to get to a quarterback uh, who's enabled, uh, let's just say, to move the way he needs to to elude the pressure. I thought Marinelli dialed up a few blitzes, a few plays to to apply the pressure, but the pressure was really done by the front four and not so much of of a scheme in a sense of blitzes and, and multitude of looks. It was just straight coming off the edges, up the middle, by all of the front four of this defense of the Dallas Cowboys. And just because of the inability, I would say, of Carson Palmer, it really gave the Dallas Cowboys defense an opportunity to eat their nails because they were really excited and anxious to get on the field, to get an opportunity to get a hit on the quarterback. And that's what we had the opportunity to see for this Arizona Cardinals team. So 
if there was someone or a group to slash, I would say I would slash the offensive line and also Carson Palmer for not being able to get it done and get him protected to get the ball out of his hand to his receivers down the field. I told you when David Johnson went down with the wrist injury for the Cardinals week one on the road in Detroit, they were not going to make the playoffs. So if we're going to slash things up, do you want to alter the balance of power in the NFC West? Because looking ahead to next Sunday, we could be ramming it. The Rams, you reminded me on Friday, have the highest scoring offense in all of football. L.A.'s on the road in Dallas. That's going to be a referendum game for a young Rams team that has come alive to start the year. Are you ready to slash up the NFC West and maybe have the Rams push Seattle to win that division title? Well, the way Seattle's been playing as of lately, uh, you can make that argument that this division is wide open when it comes to the Rams of all teams. Yes, we said the Rams in contention of fighting for the top spot in the NFC West just because of this team's inability in the Seattle Seahawks to be able to go out and be consistent. I mean, look at the games that they've had the opportunity to win and the games they had an opportunity to lose. Look at the Green Bay Packers. A close game, 17-9, couldn't close the deal. Look at the win against San Francisco. Barely won it. Came down to a late scramble by Russell Wilson to give an opportunity for the ball to get in the end zone and score the touchdown. They only won 12-9. And look at the loss against the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, 33-27. We saw what um, DeMarco Murray had an opportunity to do, being able to make some good runs, uh, obviously imposing their will against the Legion of Boom. Legion of Boom, that is. And so while this team is struggling to play on the road, there is the Rams team that you just mentioned that's playing some really good and sound football when it's all said and done in the end. They sitting there right now at a beautiful record of 2-1 and one within that division, which is better than both of the Arizona Cardinals as well as the Seattle Seahawks. And this team is actually doing it by committee. They're not just doing it by one guy. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins, who's playing well. Todd Gurley, who's getting it done. The quarterback getting it out of his hands quick in the offensive line, doing a phenomenal job of run blocking as well as pass protecting when it comes down to protecting Jared Goff in the pocket in the defense. It's feast of famine. Wade Phillips is doing a great job of getting their, their attention. The quickest turnaround of any coach in the National Football League on the offense or the defensive side of the football, Wade Phillips is the man that is capable of turning things around quickly. And I don't mean as in years, I mean within the season. So, yes, to answer your point, Brian Weber, that's Weber with two Bs. The Rams are fighting to be the best team in the NFC West. And as a matter of fact, looking at the record, they are the best team in the NFC West. Is that? Am I saying that too quick? No. Am I jumping a gun you too fast? Am I, am I drinking a Kool-Aid? First place, Los Angeles Rams heading hmm. into a big game on the road in Dallas on Sunday. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Weber with two Bs. I always have to note that because there are some imposters out there. Fake news in the world of social media. Hmm. I know you well enough that certain things are close to your heart. Colorado football. You rarely oh. say anything negative about your beloved Buffs. Very Plus, rarely. the city of New Orleans. I don't recall you criticizing many folks connected to that great city. Still, do you have a thought on what went down on Sunday in Philadelphia? Odell Beckham Jr. made some amazing plays, a spectacular one-handed grab in the corner of the end zone. But to me, he proved once more 
with that juvenile celebration. I know he's trying to be a dog. Cue up George Clinton right now, but Cordell, I think he's got to be better than that. How do you see it? There's nothing wrong with queuing up a little George Clinton. Nothing but the dog in me. Well, here's the thing. When it comes down to Odell Beckham, you know, it's 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 what I would say Coach Marvin Lewis was trying to elude when this rule was in play to allow the players to dance, which was making it about them. And so when making it about them, you would end up getting all types of dancing moves. And here it is, Odell Beckham gives you the nasty dog, doggy dog. He gives you the dog where he gets down on all fours. He raises his right leg to say that as if he's doing something in that territory which wasn't <laughs> dancing like. Marking his territory. Uh, marking his territory, <laughs> to say the least. We could get some of that, George Clinton. That would be pretty good. Um, but at the end of the day, that's the can of worms you open when giving guys the opportunity to be able to do the nasty dog, doggy dog dance. And it was done by your man, the guy we know yeah, as Odell Beckham. For the dog that chases his tail, yeah. we'll be busy. Uh-huh. That was Odell Beckham. And he got flagged on that play, actually, by the way. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. There's kids out there. You're right. And he's getting called out by his co-owner, John Mara, who has said all the right things. He said, I want Odell Beckham Jr. to be a giant for life. They're going to pay him. Here's the quote. Mara, very unhappy with the antics on Sunday. Well, I'll tell you what. If he has any incentives in his contract to do that dance... I tell you, he got paid about 150000 off of that one because he really did it. I didn't expect to see it. But uh, I thought last year with the thrusting of the hips, you know, I, like we used that word thrusting last year of A.B. in Washington. This week in Philly, the land of brotherly love, we got Odell Beckham representing the dogs, the nasty dogs in the cities and all around the world that are just running all over the place, marking their territory. He did it in Philadelphia in the back of the end zone. And, and, and rightfully so, it cost him a couple of shillings. I'm more than sure. Matter of fact, maybe just 15 yards. But we'll find out as we move forward. But that's what Marvin Lewis was alluding to when bringing the attention uh, to the players. And I, I, I never in my wildest dreams, honestly, that we would let the dog out in the city of Philadelphia in the back of the end zone. But that dog got unleashed. And that dog proved his point. Yeah. Mm. You think Mr. Mary singing his song in his office? <laughs> you think he has it? <laughs> now, we're old school, and you played yes, against John Randall. On social media, folks are pointing out when John would bring down a quarterback, he did something similar back in the day. My counter is, it wasn't cool then, and there was no social media back then. Yeah, it wasn't hypersensitive like now. Anything that you see now, you can replay it. You can catch it and put it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And then all of a sudden now you find someone maybe sending a letter. I mean, we had a letter sent to what? The Carolina Panthers uh, just because of how Cam Newton was dancing and having fun in the end zone. And that was nowhere near as close to what we saw with Odell Beckham. So just imagine us having social media, how that can actually transcend when it comes to letters and everything being sent to offices and how it can offend some kids. But back then with John Randall, come on, it happened so quick. And then you look at John Randall being a defensive lineman, you don't, you don't, you don't find that to be a bad thing to do because he's already on the ground. But 
when all the attention is on you after scoring a touchdown, you know the referees are watching. You know the people in the end zone are watching. You automatically know that you'll get a flag of some sort if you do something out of order, and he did. So he let the dog out, but that dog been put right back in the cage. Trust me, because Mr. Mary and company won't let that one happen again. So do another one. And you know, knowing this dude, he'll bring up something just as crazy as the dog. Nasty dog. Doggy dog. Odell Beckham, you've been slashed for the doggy dog dance in the end zone. Since you're looking at the standings, take a look at where the New York football giants are. I can give you a preview. They have not won a game. The Jets have won a game. Can you imagine what's going on in New York City right now? Because we discussed the notion, and we'll talk about it tomorrow with the coach, Herm Edwards, former coach of the Jets and the Chiefs, great friend of the program, does a marvelous job on ESPN. Spent a lot of time in the preseason talking about the idea the Jets could go winless. If you watch that game between the Jets and the Dolphins or heard it on TuneIn Premium, Dolphins couldn't do anything. They scored a touchdown in garbage time, but in all candor, the Jets should have won that game. 35 nothing, and I use the word garbage with intent. Cordell, what do you make of the quote from the head coach of the Dolphins, Adam Gase, tired of the Dolphins' garbage offense? <sighs> Didn't you bring in Jay Cutler, a one-year deal for 10 million bucks, thinking that this thing could work uh, and putting a lot of pressure on Ryan Tannehill, saying that, you know, Maybe this is the end of what it is that he can bring to the table. I mean, I'll say this. This is Adam Gay's offense. He brought Jay Cutler in because Jay Cutler knows the terminology and he's been in his offense. My, 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 this is my thing. For us calling it a garbage offense, this is Coach Adam Gay's system. And to put it in that context lets me know that he's not in agreement of his own offense and what he's trying to do. So in the end... Is he going to be fired? Should he fire himself? Should he bring another coordinator? Should he get himself away from the play calling? Should he get himself away from um, trying to figure out the best way to run this system? Now, when you say garbage, this is your system. So you're saying basically the players are garbage. You're saying the players can't run this system. I mean, because this is his system. And so I'm just wondering, where is he coming from? But to make that type of statement lets you know that He's not having any confidence in what this team is doing right now. And he's speaking to the players. Let me put what he said in context. Here's the rest of the quote. You can read it on NFL.com. A lot of bad football, more mental errors than we've had the last two years. I'll find the guys that want to do it right, and those guys are going to play. Yeah, and, 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 and if you mentioning garbage in the offense, and then you come back and say that, he's talking about the players. Straight, straight up. And to me, that's not the way to go. You're just one in one right now. And maybe this is just a culmination of a lot of things that's been happening ever since the quarterback and Ryan Tannehill got injured to just guys aren't getting it on offense in general. Um, so for me, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a question of does he believe in what he's doing or does he believe in the talent on the football field? that's trying to do what he's asking of them. And if he does or if he doesn't, which sounds like he doesn't, to me, because this is his system, he needs to be slashed because he's not conveying the information well enough. There are three components in the game of football. One, it's X's and O's schemes. Two, execution. And three, situational football. 
And from what it sounds like, he's not agreeing with neither one of those categories when it comes to their offense. Therefore, it's forcing him to say that it's a garbage offense or he's going to or and and or he's going to put guys into the system or in on the offense that wants to be a part of it. So while he's indirectly saying that while that offense is garbage in a sense of how it's either being run uh, or the players are paying attention to the details, it's garbage. He needs to be slashed because now at the end of the day, you're the one that implemented this system. You're the one that's coaching it. So what does that say about Adam Gase as the play caller, as the creator when it comes to the schemes and forcing the execution and asking for these guys to understand the situations? But yet I think it's too it's too quick to jump the gun. They're just one and one right now. It's not as if they're in, in week nine. This is just the beginning stages, and, and let's be realistic here and transparent. Their color is fresh on the scenes, man. So, you know, it was a tough loss against San Diego. Uh, Remember, not no, no, they, they, no, beat, not they beat L.A. and then they went to the Jets and got pushed the Jets, around. I'm sorry. So they're I'm one sorry, and one. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. What I'm here for, I am the yeah. ombuds person. My mind was, I was seeing what took place. Excuse me. I was seeing what was taking place in L.A. with the Chargers. But I was thinking about, he probably feels some type of way because a lot of people are saying the Jets are a team that's tanking the season. And so you may be embarrassed because a team that's allegedly, based on what's being said, the narrative is, this team is tanking. He probably feels some type of way. He should because the Jets crushed them. Yeah. That game was completely one-sided. And if we're slashing people up, may I slash you? Because you told me that, to use my favorite word, Jay Ajayi was not an aberration last year. He was going to be a top-five rusher again. Stat line on Sunday in the loss to the Jets, Ajayi, 11 carries, 16 yards. Yeah, I get all that. And Kansas City beat New England. And New England beat... The, the, the dog out of nasty dog, doggy dog out the Saints. And so what's your we, point? Weird things happen is, in the NFL? It's just week two, week three. <laughs> it's, come on. You also told me yourself. Miami was going to the playoffs. You're going to stand right, by right. that prediction? I say they, well, well, you know, you, so you think that, so, so hold on, time out, time out, time out. See, because you're a prisoner of the moment. I have to remember this. So I can't allow my blood pressure to get up high when you say these types of things. So what you're saying to me is, Brian Weber, that now that the Jets have beat the Miami Dolphins. Beat them up just physically. The yep. second, yeah, they beat the Mm-hmm. The dog out of the Miami Dolphins. Are you telling me basically that the Jets might be the second best team in that no, division? No, I'm not. This is more okay. of an anti-Miami conversation. And looking at the schedule, Cordell, Miami now has to go to London. And if we're going to give proper context to what's been going on, we have mm-hmm. to factor in the hurricane. Miami had to leave South Florida. They spent a week in L.A., That was their season opener against the Chargers. Then had to go all the way back to the East Coast, a terrible game against the Jets. Now they're flying to London. So I'm just saying there are real concerns surrounding a team that you told me was going back to the playoffs. So so you're telling me a team that's going back to the playoff after there's just two games, they're they're not going back to the playoffs. I'm telling one you. And one. I'll say this because you sound like Adam Gage right now. You're panicking. No, I so told, I told you right in now. the offseason this was an eight-win team. So I'm feeling good about that prediction. So he only played two games. So yeah. I can, it's I called real-time analysis, real analysis and spinning it forward. I'm not spinning. We're staying right here. We're in the moment. They only play two games. Let's talk when we get up to at least 12 games. So, so I have to wait. <laughs> Hang on. I have to yeah, wait until have to week wait. 12 to come up at with least, a firm stance? You're saying they're going to win eight games and we only play two. How that's my make job. A, I'm here to forecast things like a that, weatherman. That's, that's not a good forecast because you're telling me right now that it's going to be thunder, thunder and lightning in the next three weeks down the road, but we're only dealing with the sunshine of what we have today. Three, we, we, in the next five weeks, this team can run off 
four wins, five wins, and then what the narrative is going to be then? We'll so have that I'm conversation then. We can have that conversation. But Jay Ajayi, first week one, he's got 122 yards. Week two, he's gotten 16. If we go back to last season with Jay Ajayi and you look at that schedule and you see how he started the season off, he didn't even start week one. He didn't even start week two. He wasn't even a lead rusher in the first three weeks. Right, because they had Arian Foster and he got hurt and retired. So here he is. So the first week he started, how many yards did he get? 33 yards. The second time he started in week five, he got 42. Then the next week he went 204, 214. So all I'm saying is, it's just week two. It's they got two. destroyed by the Jets, who were going to go 1-15. So guess what's going to happen now? So what you're telling me is because they got destroyed by the Jets. This team in the Jets is going to be the second best team in the AFC North. Can we play the schedule game? AFC, I'll do it for uh, actually, you. AFC Thank you, my friend. We have right. challenges with geography on the show. But we know Miami's going to London. Yeah. They're playing the Saints. Saints mm-hmm. look pretty good against Carolina, unless you're going to mm-hmm. pin that Saint victory on inept play by Cam Newton. Right. Then they play your Tennessee Titans, talking about yeah. Miami. Then they go to Atlanta. Does uh-huh. that sound like a promising slate for Miami? Those are tough games. Yeah, all the games are tough. I like where they are. It's going to be a challenge for them, and they got to meet the challenge if they want to play for anything. I'm not going to say that they're not going to be in contention in those games or say they're not going to win the games. Now, they're traveling to London. All right, they're traveling to London. Both, both the New Orleans Saints and this team is traveling to London. And we don't know how that's going to turn out, but we did last week pick uh, the, the – I didn't pick – actually, I did not pick the Baltimore Ravens like you to win last week in London. I picked your Jacksonville Jaguars to win in London, and they beat them hands down. Beat them to the ground they beat them. And here it is. We're saying basically that the Miami Dolphins have to travel, and that may be tough. Well, we don't know. It has to be seen. But all I'm basically saying is, with the way this team be- lost against the Jets, yes, it should concern you. Yes, you should be frustrated. I get that. I know we want to jump on Jay and Jay. Oh, Cordell, you just got 16 yards in that game. Yeah, last week, you know what? You know what? Ezekiel Elliott ended up getting nine rushes for eight yards. So, I, 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 so what's the point? The point is they just lost. They had a team that beat them. A team that everyone thought was going to go 0-16. So now they have a chance to go 1-15. They win another one to be 2-14. We just got to see. The thing is, if this team wants to play and compete to be a part of getting into uh, the playoffs again this year, you can't let teams like the Jets beat you. Teams that you have to uh, uh, take down considering what they don't have on their roster. But it goes back to what I say every single week. That's why you play the game. That's why the game has to be played. And until the game is played, you really don't know, but you create what you can from an analysis standpoint on what you think of that football team, which hopefully and sometimes can equate to something good. And here it is for the for the Miami Dolphins. They play badly. Yes, Horribly. there was nothing good at MetLife Stadium. And remember, because you watch games and I watch games, sometimes the tail of the tape does not sum up how bad it was. Miami got destroyed by the Jets. And since you take notes... Write this down on your pad. Miami's going to lose to New Orleans and London. They're going to lose to the Tennessee Titans. Then they're going to lose on the road Atlanta. They'll be 1-4 to start the year. Book it, all right? Next three games. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm not, I'm not uh, elaborating on that. I let, I'm going to let that stick and stay for a minute. Y'all heard that, I'm people. Let that marinate Brian for Weber, a bit. Let that marinate. <laughs> Brian Weber said, Brian Weber, Weber with two Bs, said that the Miami Dolphins are going to lose the next three games. Because of how they lost against the Jets. Yep. So he's a prisoner of the moment. Right no, no, no. 
Oh yeah, he I'm is. I'm clairvoyant. Because I if, see they things the Jets, happening, you, if they beat the Jets, if they would have beat the Jets, if they would have beat the Jets, would you have said this in the next three games? I would have said they beat the Jets because they should beat the Jets. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, and lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now Cordell Stewart and I are joined by Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, thanks again for taking the time. You've been around this team for many years. Were you surprised to see Jerry Jones join his players taking a knee before the anthem last night? Important to reiterate, that happened before the anthem. Yeah, I thought, uh, no, to tell you the truth, not, not surprised at all. I think once Jerry saw some of the other owners uh, on the field for the national anthem with their teams, I figured they would try to incorporate as many people in the organization uh, with whatever they decided to do. And uh, I know it was uh, kind of a confusing uh, early afternoon, early evening for them uh, at University of Phoenix Stadium because – they had some different plans. Uh, they were trying to do something in coordination with the Phoenix Cardinals, or the Arizona Cardinals team, and that didn't work out. Uh, so I think it was only about 20, a half hour, within the hour of going out on the field, they came up with the idea to do what they did, uh, to come out, make their statement uh, before the national anthem, not do anything to take away from the national anthem or disgrace the flag and then get off the field and stand like they normally do. Uh, and I, I thought it was, uh, I, I thought it ended up being well thought out that they, they didn't bury their heads in the sand uh, with all the protests going on, kind of stood up for the players uh, and then retreated and honored the national anthem and the flag at the same time by standing uh, behind it on the sideline like they normally do and the Cardinals doing the same in the end zone. But Mickey, when you see owners and coaches and players actually join together like that, what does that say about the National Football League in a sense of guys coming from a multitude of backgrounds, different philosophies, different upbringings, nationalities across the board? But what does that say about the sport itself and the National Football League in particular that you see owners like the Jerry Jones, who we know who's been an advocate of his players, regardless if they were wrong or not. He's always, always outspoken when it came down to protecting his players. What do you think it's saying now in this time in our country, especially um, the owners and the teams are, are feeling towards one another? Yeah, Cordell, I, 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 I just thought it was a powerful statement uh, to have ownership, players, coaches all standing at one uh, I thought whatever the Cowboys did, they would do it as a team. Uh, if you guys ever get to come out to the Ford Center here and, and see where their team meeting room is, and uh, it's, a, it, it's kind of like a mini theater type seating, and on the walls on the sides are the words on both, uh, both sides, the team, the team, the team. So 
Jason Garrett's very big about the team, doing everything as a team together. And I thought that he had basically said some things off the record that, you know, I, I don't think individuals should stand out in something like this. I think whatever anybody does, it should be everybody together, not calling attention to yourself, but just call attention to the team. So the fact that not only did they do that, because I thought they would do the arm-in-arm lock uh, the way they did the summer before at training camp uh, when the police officers were murdered in downtown Dallas, and to honor them and their families, they kind of walked out arm-in-arm and stood arm-in-arm in a circle. So I figured they were going to do something like that. So to me, the powerful thing is, is you did it as a team, not an individual as a team, and the owner was right there in the middle of it, which is kind of a, a strange dichotomy, right? Because all of a sudden, the NFL and the NFLPA, they, they've been nipping at each other for weeks now, right? Well, now all of a sudden, everybody's standing together. And, and the people that you know, you're standing together with this weekend – well, in a couple of years, you'll be arguing for a new collective bargaining agreement and you'll be adversaries again. So uh, I it, guess it's taken something like this to kind of get everybody galvanized on the same page in the National Football League. At least for now, we have unity across our league. Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Mickey, a lot of national conversation about where Des Bryant fits in amongst premier receivers. How about the effort he demonstrated on the touchdown last night, third quarter, fighting his way, willing his way into the end zone? Yeah, absolutely. And that's Des Bryant. Uh, you know, things haven't started off as well uh, as he would have liked, heck, as the Cowboys would have liked. Uh, they would have liked them to pick up where they left off last year. And if you go back and look at the last half dozen uh, of last season, Look at the, the, the playoff game against the Packers when he had like, he had nine catches. I want to say it was like 130 some yards and two touchdowns. You know, everybody was saying, well, Des Bryant, he's no longer this or that. It's like, well, okay, in six months, did all this happen? Uh, I think every game needs to be taken individually, but you're right. He got the ball just like Dak did at the end of the first half, and you could almost see it in their body language. It's like, by God, I'm scoring here. No matter what's happening, I'm getting in the end zone. And Des told me after the game, he goes, I swear, he goes, I said before the play, if I touch the ball, I'm scoring. I am getting in the end zone. They will not deny me. And I think you saw uh, the fight. And, and, and that was one of the things Jason talked to the team uh, after the game about is how hard they fought. He goes, hey, we got hit in the face with a shovel, you know, and we could have folded, but we hung in there somehow, some way to make enough plays. And I think Dak's touchdown, the dive into the end zone, Dez's touchdown, and Zeke continuing to hammer the ball when there was usually nowhere to hammer it, uh, I, I think spoke volumes about uh, the fight this team has. Give me a take on Dak Prescott. Uh, last week, of course, and as well as Ezekiel Elliott, but mainly Dak Prescott, last week was a very tough week for this team. Uh, only nine rushes for, for eight yards by Ezekiel Elliott, uh, two turnovers uh, by the quarterback, and, and uh, Dak Prescott uh, playing against a, a feast of famine type defense of the Denver Broncos. But yet he comes back this week and somewhat set the tone. And you talked about the touchdown that he made, Dak Prescott, by diving over to score that touchdown. That somewhat set the tone in my mind 
watching that game and saying, you know what, if our quarterback can do this, we need to give an effort as well. And then all of a sudden you obviously saw Des Bryant uh, scoring his touchdown the way he did. Give me your take on that young man's mental fortitude. He's a captain of this team, one of the captains on his team, and he's also in his second year. Do you see him steadily getting better as time goes on? And, and uh, Dak Prescott, the quarterback for this team. You know what I think I saw him do, and I and I think you're absolutely right uh, on, on what you're suggesting about how he kind of took over. Things weren't going well. Uh, conventional plays weren't working, and it, it was like, okay, we need to start doing something different. They ran a couple zone options. Uh, that was the play he scored on. He started buying time with his feet, getting outside the pocket. It was almost like sandlot football there for. Uh, a while, but he was making plays and that's him. That's the kind of leader he is. It's like, okay, you know, people were saying, well, you can't put the game on his back. Don't put the game in his hand. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, the games were in his hands for 17 games last year. They go 13 and three and nearly win that playoff game. That kind of played Aaron Rodgers to a standstill. Uh, So didn't surprise me. But I think guys on this team understand what a leader he is and and how nothing kind of gets in his way, which was another thing uh, I thought Des Bryant hit the nail on the head with afterwards. He said, you know, it doesn't matter. He goes, if this team has one bad play, one bad day, one bad game, we move on. We keep going. And that's one of the knacks a quarterback has to have. I remember Tony Romo talking about that all the time. You know, he said it's like golf. You hit a bad shot, uh, you're in the rough, you can't get frustrated and let that one bad shot now mess up your next shot. You just got to forget it, go to the next shot. And I think this team did that because, you guys, if you looked at the numbers after the first quarter, uh, the first half, heck, after the game, it does not suggest the Cowboys would have won this game 28-17. to 17. I mean, Arizona had 75 plays. The Cowboys had 45. That's 30 more plays. That's like another half. And, and, and yet somehow, some way, they were able to fight back and, and win the game. And I think they took the lead of, of the quarterback. And that's pretty strong for a quarterback just in his second year in the National Football League. And they won it in part because of defense. So let's wrap it up on that side of the football with David Irving still serving the four-game suspension. What did you see from Demarcus Lawrence last night? Huge game after he missed seven games last year. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you sit there, and, and that's the guy they thought they were moving up in the draft uh, in, in 20, 2014. Uh, when they took him uh, in the second round. Uh, He's finally healthy. You can see the speed he has. Don't put an average tackle out there against him because he's going to eat him up. And and I know everybody focuses on the sacks. It was three. It should have been four, by the way. Uh, Sean Lee gets called for illegal contact down the field. uh, Took away, eliminated one of his sacks. But it was also the tackles for losses. It was also the times where he was at at the quarterback's feet, uh, either a hurry or a hit. I mean, it was just such a complete game. And we haven't seen this from a Cowboys player uh, since DeMarcus Ware uh, departed. And if you think about it, right now he's got six and a half sacks. He should have eight. They took a half a sack away from him uh, from the Giants game. And then he had the one uh, yesterday eliminated by the, the penalty. 
Last year, the Cowboys sack leader was Benson Mayoa with six. He's already beaten that in three games. Now, somebody might say, well, the competition he goes up against isn't all that great. Okay, fine. I get that. But you've got to do what you're supposed to do no matter who you're playing. You know, you, if they're not that good, then you better be doing what he's doing. So he's off to a great start. Uh, the Cowboys keep talking about they need a war daddy on that defensive line. They just might have found one in Demarcus Lawrence. Mickey, great information as always. Thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Enjoyed to be with you guys. See ya. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, before we get into the real hard-hitting questions, we started with the Kareem Hunt highlight. Have you heard of any fantasy horror stories with folks picking up Akeem Hunt mistakenly on the waiver wire? Happily, I haven't seen that that done just yet. If uh, people drafted early, perhaps we might have had that quick snafu, and, and nobody's going to admit that. Uh, why? Because you know, being mocked is part of our business. Uh, alongside your friends, you do everything you can to avoid that, because otherwise, the Akeem Hunt is going to show up uh, that that jersey for you uh, in short order for you to wear it all future league gatherings. So, yeah, happily, no, but certainly people who. Uh, who didn't get to the wire as soon as they heard about Spencer Ware for those leagues that had drafted are uh, are really kicking themselves now, the number one player in all the land. Mike, should Wendell Smallwood be considered now that Sproles is out, or is LeGarrette Blunt the only running back on the roster worth owning? Well, we're going to have to look at Smallwood. You know, obviously LeGarrette Blunt working more in the passing game than we've we've seen in recent memory, but you know, they're not gonna be able to, to wear him down over a full sixteen. So I, I think you're gonna see a bunch of small wood seeing that eight to ten touches uh per game. They'll be curious they're working out other players. I know Barner was in and, and some others. So we'll we'll see if they, they shake out with another other player. But difficult to see uh Derek Sproles go down, one of everybody's favorite. It's one of those fan favorites for, for many a year right now. A guy seemed ageless and then just myriad injuries on, on the same play. But Smallwood going to be a popular uh, waiver pickup, owned in only about 10% of leagues. Uh, we'll see him rostered probably in 90% by the end of the night. Mike, with all the unique content you crank out at SwollenDome.com, you have the name power rankings. Who has a better name in the NFL, Wendell Smallwood or the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dirk Cutter? Dirk Cutter is is tough, but Wendell Smallwood just sounds like a guy that would be showing up in a movie at about six foot eight uh, and, and ready to just beat down everybody. You and know, his and nickname's just, Tiny, of course, right? Exactly, of course, it has to be. <laughs> As we go to every movie made in the late eighties. <laughs> Mike, let's just say uh, Odell Beckham has been a long time coming, and I know it's only been three games this season, but had a great performance, and of course, he gave us the leg that caused him a to get the team a penalty, but is it safe to say after his performance against the Eagles, uh, is it safe to start him moving forward? 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, we you would have started him and you know been sitting there with your hands clasped. Well, it is Sunday because you know you know that kind of thing. So if you look at it uh, with Eli Manning. That's the only variable to all of this. I mean, obviously Odell's going to go and make his plays. It's just a question of does Eli have enough time to deliver the ball downfield? Do they uh, have those opportunities uh, to make big plays? I mean, over the course of the year, I think the numbers are going to be there. There are going to be some some bad outings in the, in the way until they fix you know, the porous, leaky, you know, flowers part of the the line anyway. But for, for Odell Beckham Jr. owners, I, I think it's going to be one of those topsy-turvy kind of years where the numbers look nice at the end, but along the way there are going to be a couple of matchups where you're throwing things at your television. Uh, so just get your popcorn ready and, and saddle up. But he's still one of the top three players uh, at the position each and every week. Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, it's all about hot takes on this show. Top of the hour, we're going to revisit the conversation we had in the first hour of the show. Is Des Bryant still a premier wide receiver? That's reality. What's the fantasy take? Just two targets last night, two grabs, but he had that amazing touchdown fighting his way into the end zone. You mean the the bush push with yeah. 14 guys? Hey, it all counts just the same. You know, and if you didn't watch the game, you thought it was a beautiful uh, fade route to the corner along the way. So uh, certainly the efficiency numbers uh, for Prescott to, to Des Bryant ha- have been well established here. You know, you have a, one of the better secondaries going in, in the game and certainly co- corners that, that blanket. So you're not going to force the ball. So Prescott was smart to get others involved. You know, the, the one guy I'm waiting to see if he takes on a bigger role uh, is Bryce Butler. Two catches, 90 yards, and a score. And, you know, the Honey Badger had that pretty lazy effort to, you know, do the finger tackle as he's going to the ground, gets the, the reversal there. I was going to make him run laps for the next week and a half if that had been able to be rolled up into a touchdown. But, you know, you saw the athleticism there of a guy being able to just go up and get the ball. Uh, so wondering how much they, they shift away and start looking at some of these secondary options along the way. So Bryant, the guy who's a high-end number two wide receiver, but again, the, the numbers, you know, efficiency between he and, and Preston Scott are just woefully short of where you need to be to be that lockstep, you know, it put in Sharpie pen number one wide receiver for fantasy owners. Mike, one of the most surprising stories I would say so far of this year, it's the Rams. Uh, this is a team that's been the highest scoring offense so far this season. Uh, will that keep up and will Jared Goff keep feeding continuously to Sammy Watkins like he did on Thursday night? Uh, we celebrate the entire catalog of Jared Goff's efforts thus far uh, after last year being a, well, a punchline for half his season. Okay, that was more about Jeff Fisher. But <laughs> you, you look at Sammy Watkins comes in, you have Buffalo West playing, he and Robert Woods, two guys that could change the way the, this offense runs and work downfield. Watkins also setting down in, in the short to intermediate game, going into traffic. I, I love the pass play where he catches it uh, before the, the touchdown and has to fight for the goal line when he's wide open and the, his eyes get wide like saucers, like, I can't believe there's nobody near me. Uh, that, that's the one thing this offense is starting to create for Sean McVay. So Sammy Watkins creeping up into that higher-end number two wide receiver. He would have started the year as a back-end number three for fantasy purposes as people awaited to see if there were any kind of chemistry. For Jared Goff, he's another guy on the waiver wire this week that you're going to be looking to pick up because you got an opportunity here against this Dallas secondary, which we've seen beaten downfield with some regularity. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Fantasy Fix with our good friend Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, understandably, Cordell has mocked my 
blind loyalty when it comes to the Jaguars, but we all know they're not only America's team, they're an international brand. So That is right. Based on what you <laughs> saw from Mercedes Lewis, was that the London effect, an aberration? What happened with those three touchdown receptions? You mean the fact that the man had three touchdowns in his last 36 games spanning three years prior to this weekend's performance? Anomaly is what you're saying, huh? An anomaly. Yeah, this is one that's floating out in space. Certainly one to keep an eye on just because the offense actually worked going up against Baltimore, a team everybody, you know, after a week or starting to compare to the 2000 Ravens. And now, you know, John Harbaugh's crying that he doesn't want to go to, go to London anymore. Someone else can have that job. How soft is that? But I'll, I'll save that rant for another time. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, Mar- the, the Jaguars' offense, you know, you're looking at Marquise Lee with a good target count. You're looking at the, the running game with Fournette. Mercedes Lewis pops up for a week. And given the number of injuries at the tight end position, perhaps we'll, we'll get some notice in some larger leagues. But I need to see him do it again and perhaps a third time before I'm jumping on the fantasy bandwagon. Russell Wilson has truly been the reason, uh, let's just say, why this offense ever had a chance. The offensive line has been struggling. I mean, he hadn't had any continuity, to say the least. But even with the loss to the Titans, is he back to being a top-end fantasy QB? Well, I tell you, this was one that was an outlier, right? We had a lot of strange things happen in games on Sunday, uh, and his performance was one I I certainly didn't see coming in terms of those those big touchdown uh, production uh, levels. You know, we got an injury to to his top target going forward with Doug Baldwin, so I'll wait to see the injury report as that goes. You know, 29 of 49, that's not the type of game they want to play, but when you've got no offensive line and, and no consistency at the running back position right now, that you're, you're going to have to push downfield. So uh, he, he's going to be a back-end starter because he's still putting up numbers with his legs, right, looking at 40, 34, 26 yards there. So when you're getting those bonus points in that re- regard, for, from quarterbacks, you know, it's going to keep him at the back end of the number ones. But I'm reticent to push him too high. I want to see some some consistency here uh, before we push too hard. There, there's too many quarterbacks playing consistent elite football right now. You know, you're, you're looking at a guy like Alex Smith, still unowned in about 60% of leagues, who's been money three straight weeks, and he's he's an afterthought. So uh, we'll we'll see how this pr- progresses. I'm still waiting for that. You know that whole gelling thing that keep people keep telling me is going to happen with that offensive line. I don't think you're ready for that jelly, Mike. As we say Nicely goodbye, done. Yeah, I, I, I do my best though. to that listen actively. All right, Wendell Smallwood shows up in Roadhouse. He gets through Terry Funk. What happens when it's Smallwood against Dalton? Well, I think Dalton gets him with his hair, really, and then he pulls his heart out. <laughs> Pain don't hurt. That's absolutely true. Thank it's you, Michael. True. It'd be nice until I tell you not to be nice, hey, as always. Watch out for Ben Gazzara. How did Ben Gazzara run that entire town? <laughs> well, he had mind control. I, I'm not really sure because the guys he was running out his muscle uh, in most movies would have been laughed off the stage. And so. finally, and finally, what happened to monster trucks? Remember when they drove the monster truck through the Ford dealership? Cordell, what happened to monster trucks like Bigfoot that used to run these United States of America? That used to be so great because that was one of the events that would actually go through the Superdome down in New Orleans and, and a lot of domes across the country, but. That's a good question, man, because they're, they're not the big thing anymore when it comes down to watching them. But they still have them. My cousin mentioned every once in a while she goes to them. But Bigfoot, 
that was the big deal back in the day. But I think Bigfoot's been trumped by quite a few of those. I think they've been trumped. I think they've been Mike, trumped. is there a fantasy football <laughs> comparison <laughs> to monster trucks? <laughs> Is Mike on? Mike, Mike can't handle that this. That is a fantastic question. I do know this. January 13th, 2018, Monster Jam will be at Angel Stadium in Anaheim. Oh, uh, there it is. Here in Southern California. There it I think is. we're all getting together. What do you say, fellas? Cornell's coming west. That would coincide with the NFL playoffs, but this is more important. We're all going to get together in Southern California to see Gravedigger. Thank you, Michael. See you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, you just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, and lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to spotlight a surreal story in New England as we take you out of bounds. On the gridiron, there are clear lines to follow. But from time to time, there's a story that takes us out of bounds. Crazy, deranged situation. It's No Huddle on the NFL on TuneIn. Cordell, let me take the audience behind the curtain. We have such amazing rapport. It sounds like we're sitting side by side. But you're in Atlanta. I'm in Southern California, primarily because I have personal space issues and need to work alone. I can see you via Skype. How much water do you consume on a good day trying to keep that finely tuned machine of yours humming along? Oh, man. I would say no less than a half a gallon a day. No less than and no more than a gallon a day. Just to keep me going. I mean, you know, you got to flush it out. You know, just keep it going. Keep the body hydrated. Uh, but about a half a gallon, no more than a gallon a day. What do you have? Okay. I thought you were going to bring up Diet Coke there. I tried to no think Diet like Coke you in there. It, it, it screws all the water up. You know, it, it, the carbonation, you know, really takes you to a place where it causes you to become dehydrated over time. But, you know, that's another conversation for another day. But only a half a gallon to a gallon a day. Go ahead. Okay. I thought you were going to ask me how much Diet Coke I can Oh, I know you drink, what, about three... three uh, <laughs> Cases. Yeah, what's more than a gallon? <laughs> I enjoy my caffeine. You need yes. me caffeinated. And I would pay whatever it takes, especially at a sporting event, to keep my Diet Coke intake going. So I know what consumers were dealing with Sunday at Gillette Stadium. It was hot on the East Coast. 86 degrees at game time when the Texans and the Patriots got together. According to a report in the Boston Globe, the Patriots unfortunately ran out of bottled water at some of their concession stands. So the folks who were working there had to get creative. They said, how can we make sure these fans stay hydrated? Well, they had soda cups. If you want to buy a soda, the price is $5. (laughs) For fans who just wanted water, some of these folks who were trying to get ingenious decided to 
fill up a soda cup with tap water and charge the fans $5. And I gave you the headline, Patriots now apologizing. Here's a quote from a spokesperson named Stacy James in a statement. That should never have happened. First time I've ever heard of that complaint. We're looking into the matter. Apologizing? What you apologizing for? Five bucks for done. tap water? It was water? intended. It was intended. Who's apologizing? The Patriots are because the notion is they ripped off their paying customers. They didn't they didn't know that before they actually when he was actually filling up. Well, if you see somebody just turning on the tap and saying that'll be five bucks, Come I think on. he would feel ripped off. My point exactly. Even the person that's even saying, you know, or wanting to pay five bucks. Come on, man. You know what? You know, people are just trying to find ways to it's called entrepreneurship. People are entrepreneurs. So you're justifying that? <laughs> They're entrepreneurs, right? They're finding ways to make it work, buddy. That, that tap water is free. I thought it was. I thought tap water but was free. But the cup costs $5. That was the $5. irony. As much free water as you want, if you need a cup, that's going to be 5 bucks. 5 bucks to quench your thirst. My man. Things are changing. We're in our own business. I'm telling you. You know, I'll go stand over. I'll go to the Mercedes-Benz the Dome over here and have a, hey, I have cu- cups for four bucks a piece. Get your own tap water any way you want to get it. But here are the cups, four bucks a piece. Cordell Stewart's <laughs> magic slash cup for the low, low price of $4. Get it on a low, low. I got you right here. Your man. Stool of Pew, right here. One cup, six ounces, five bucks. <laughs> Back to you. So that's the news item. Now let's get to the football conversation. Patriots have had a marvelous defensive run for the better part of a decade and a half because of Bill Belichick, and now it's Matt Patricia calling the signals on defense. What's going on with this D, Cordell? 95 points allowed in three games, the most throughout the Belichick era. The Patriots are on pace. Believe this, and I know it's a small sample size, but believe this to be true. This is validated. On pace to break. The record put up by the 2012 Saints defense, they were a debacle. Patriots could allow the most yards in a single season in the history of the NFL. That's one thing that we know is not the norm uh, when it comes to Bill Belichick's defense. And anytime uh, you have a situation where you have them being scored on that many times, um, in games uh, over a short span of what three weeks, uh, that goes to show you there's a lot of deficiencies in this in this defense, and it's putting a lot of pressure on his offense. Uh, losing players like the Julian Edelman's of the world and Gronkowski, that's not being able to to produce like he once did, is it's really putting a, I would say, a chokehold on this offense when it comes down to having. Uh, to produce on a consistent basis and not being able to let up not one time. Um, 95 points in three games. That's a lot of points. Hey, what was the score at the Super Bowl in the third quarter? 28-3. 28-3. This is a trend now developing in New England. It it actually is a trend over the last couple of years. It's it's been something that it's hard to put your finger on in a sense of of why, but when you give up, what, 42 points in week one, 20 in week two – uh, 93 and in, in, in uh, 93, 33 in week three, which is the 95 number you talked about. Uh, they have a lot of issues on that side of the football. Don't get me wrong. In comparison to last year, what they've given up, 42 points, 45 points in the first three games. Matter of fact, matter of fact 45 points in the first four games, they gave up. Uh, they had shootouts. 
Uh, well, actually, I, I take that back. Uh, 45 and 16, what is that? Uh, 45, so yeah, 61, something like that. 61 points in the first four games. So they're, they're, they're in, in a record-breaking situ, you know, situation defensively when it comes up to what they're giving up and their inability to get to the quarterback, their inability uh, to stop the run. Uh, you saw, I, I think, the debut of Kareem Hunt playing against that defense and how he shredded it with that offensive lineman. The offensive line just actually producing holes that allow, allow his little bitty compact body to squeeze through uh, when it comes down to how hard he ran the football. So they, they, it's not just uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, that it ended up happening with. It's all the other teams as well. And moving forward, teams are recognizing those, those deficiencies on the defensive side of the football. And you better believe teams are going to come at them 100 miles per hour. Uh, and they come up against a team this upcoming weekend on the 1st of October, which is the Carolina Panthers, which – they do have a running game, but they're inconsistent with what they're doing right now on offense. So uh, you wonder if they're going to use a lot of James Stewart and uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, when it comes down to running between the tackles. And it remains to be seen because we saw this team with, man, I mean, just the Houston Texans along and how they played. You saw Deshaun Watson play like he was actually on the primetime stage against this defense that was giving up a tremendous amount of points, tremendous amount of yards, up and down the field, short or long, when it comes down to the possessions by the Houston Texans offense having to travel on the field. And they put up the points. It came down to the defense having to make uh, some, some, a stop uh, that was needed. And, of course, they allowed Tom Brady to, to do what he normally does, which is be the Tom Terrific and the comeback kid, regardless of how everything else is happening around him. He actually ended up being the one to make it work and make it happen and look like he is considered as one of the best that ever did it. So they've given up 95 points in three games. Let's see what happened in the next three games and tally that number up because this is going to be pretty, pretty interesting. Carolina, Tampa, then the Jets. Jets are playing good right now, by the way. Small sample size because Miami didn't show up, and we're going to slash right up. Now. We're going to slash up Miami in the final hour of the show. I'm, hey man, the Jets are great right now. Josh McCown is the man. Come on, well, call it what it is. He they're is gonna a give, man. Yes. They're going to give New England a run for their money. That's in three weeks from now. Stop. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Big sample size. <laughs> Hey, as we wrap it up, let's connect what we saw Monday Night Football to the failings of the Patriots defensively so far. Don't you think New England could use Chandler Jones? I know they didn't want to pay him, but they can't get to the quarterback. Well, yeah, and, and let's high tower. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that's they, happening. They and traded Jamie Collins to Cleveland they, last year. I know changed, he was yeah. freelancing, but he's talented. Well, and they didn't want to pay the money. For I understand. These guys. Well, and these guys got paid by both teams. Yep. They got their money. Chandler Jones for sure got his money. And he's in the, probably, a, in his mind, in a place where the sun shines all the time. Pretty warm, by the way. Uh, all year round. So, you know, if he likes golf, if he, if he doesn't like golf and never played, he can learn it. Because in Arizona, that, that's what they do. Uh, but, you know, he's, you know, that, that's New England. And, and, and you wonder if this is a time where it's catching up with them uh, because of their defense. And, and wondering if this offense can produce the touchdowns and the yardage when needed because of their defense not being able to make the stops. So you wonder if they, if, if, if this is the way uh, they'll be able to play for the rest of the season if this defense doesn't figure it out. So it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm looking forward to see how they actually come out of this one uh, because if they make a run to a championship out of this case in this situation, woo, 
It's going to be crazy. 95 points given up in the first three games of the season. The most by anybody right now. That's huge. Big league. Big league. Believe me. Big league and league. We'll get back to this tomorrow, 525 Eastern Time, hour number two of the program on the Wednesday edition of NFL No Huddle when we have our weekly visit with a great friend of the show, Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Catch all their great audio content on the Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.